0: Um, right. Yeah, so I understand you are the VP of Marketing, Communications, and Digital Media, which is yes. a pretty a long title. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I um, you know, tell most people, and it's pretty much exactly how it sounds. You know, right. People are asked to describe what they do.
0: <laughs> yeah, so, so, so can you break down exactly what that entails and exactly what you do? Yeah, I mean, it's...
1: Okay, let's see, how do I break it down? So marketing as a whole, you know, and my background um, is in marketing and advertising mm-hmm. and strategic planning. And um, I'm fairly new, only seven years into the nonprofit museum world. I was always on the, um, prop, you know, for-profit kind of consulting mm-hmm. side. Um, so what that overall entails is... Um, overseeing and planning the strategy for all of the um, Institute's marketing initiatives to primarily drive visitors into the museum. Um, But there are kind of other sub goals as well, but I'll use that as primarily. So whether it's advertising, public relations, um, digital advertising, social media, promotions, any really kind of marketing um, tool that's available Um, to us. So communications, um, although it's broken out, which is really public relations, um, is, you know, is a part of marketing, but it's just, it's broken out. So, and then digital media um, was added when I was originally hired three years ago, there was a separate kind of digital department. And um, that was problematic um, for, for a number of reasons, because digital is so important. To marketing right and so they had a chief digital officer and it wasn't really, you know who wasn't really playing well with everybody else in the organization mm-hmm. and anyway the decision was made to restructure and put digital under me so digital um includes everything from website you know social media um um video we had a videographer before my. My um, department's about half the size as it was pre-pandemic. But thinking pre-pandemic, mm-hmm. you know, we had a videographer um, who was was part of that team as well. And digital encompasses both digital marketing, but also digital science communication, mm-hmm. um, which I think is also part of marketing, but it's much more, you know, mission um, right. driven, you know, as as... And very mission-driven organization. So that's kind of
0: my disjointed answer. To my <laughs> disjointed title. <laughs> how was that that transition? So how did everything kind of transition over? Because you mentioned that it, you know, that digital was under one kind of roof. One
1: department. Yeah, and right. it had been um, for a couple of years. I think. Um, The transition, the transition, you know, was, was fine. I think the challenge that I had is that um, the skills of the team that moved over to me was much Mm -hmm. more science communication focused than marketing focused. They're not, they weren't marketers by, you know, trade, so to speak. So it was really, you know, working with them to look at the discipline, you know, both from that marketing perspective, much more kind of a a sales transactional oriented, as well as, um, you know, from a science communication standpoint, a more digital editorial standpoint, like Joy Montefusco, who reports to me and is the director of digital, you know, Mm -hmm. editorial, her background is, you know, working as a digital pro- producer is at Discovery Channel and, you know, other kind of digital entities. So um, fortunately, uh, the team was very, very open, you know, to learning That's more good. about that, to be guided <laughs> right. more in that direction. Um, I was really grateful at how kind of easy the, tra- they you know, helped with or made the transition because it didn't mm-hmm. necessarily have to be. There were a lot of politics around this move, um, mm-hmm. so so it actually went really smoothly, um, and it didn't necessarily, you know, have to. Or so it's been good. It's been good. Now it's been about two and a half years that it's been under me, and um, you know we're pretty small right now, but right build back up. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so, so, so you mentioned that, that, that they are pretty new to the nonprofit yes. marketing. Um, what has been your career path leading into your current position and what made you switch to nonprofits?
1: Yeah, I, um, so I went to school um, dual majoring in advertising and marketing. I went to Syracuse and um, I started out working in New York Um, for a large global advertising agency. And I was in account management and strategic planning. And um, I was in, you know, stayed in New York for a number of years. And then I moved to um, Philadelphia and continued um, working for an agency. Then I had that moment when I was about like 28, where I was like, there must be something else out there. Um, so I went to kind of the what I'll call the client side. And I was working mm-hmm. as a marketing Depre- director for Einstein Healthcare Network. And I missed the, the agency side. I went back to the agency side. Um, and, you know, I loved it and, you know, moved up and I had, you know, a great career um, in it. And I really got to the point where, um, first of all, it's very much when you're in an agency, you know, your schedule is not your own. It's, it's really long hours. Um, I had, you know, young twins. Um, I just got divorced. Um, So I really wanted to look kind of for something else. And I also really wanted when you're working on the agency side or in in a consulting, you know, realm, um, you're working with a lot of different clients in a lot of different categories which is great but you don't really have that opportunity to really focus on one and really year after year develop you know that person that business so um and museums are like my personal passion um Mm -hmm. i just i love museums and going to museums and and i never really thought i could um you know merge my professional expertise and kind of my personal passion and right. I saw a position at the Kimmel Center. Um, and I thought, well, you know, that could be fun. You know, yes, I will take a substantial pay cut, but um, mm-hmm. but you know, that, that would be interesting. And that sounds something that I'd really find fulfilling. So I went to the Kimmel Center, I was there for three years. And um, it was a great introduction to kind of nonprofit, you know, arts mm-hmm. and culture management. Right. Um, and then I saw the position at the Franklin Institute four years, three years ago. I've been here three years, um, and it, you know, it was a step up. Got me back into a senior role, and um, you know, and I've kind of never, never looked back. So um, you know, and I think um, it was not a hard transition because the thing is, is museums need to be run like a business. Right. Um, You know, and I think that that is, when you look at how kind of museums have shifted, um, the mentality is very much being forced to shift as running it like a business versus a nonprofit, Mm -hmm. strictly mission-driven organization. You can't do the mission without the margin. Right. So... um, the, the Franklin Institute, the current CEO, Larry Davinsky, who is not a scientist, he's, he's <laughs> an attorney, um, the previous CEO was a scientist, you know, very much understood that for the long-term viability, it needs to be run like a business. And he right. saw value in bringing people from outside the sector to kind of help shape that. Um, so it's great. I mean, I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, it's just, it's so fulfilling and it's so interesting. Um, yeah, and it's been
0: great. How has, um, especially during the pandemic, do you find that the, that, um, that kind of mission based versus business based has that been, has that shifted more to one end to the other?
1: Yeah, it's been, I mean, we're, you know, obviously, Um, museums and the cultural sector have been absolutely devastated um, in in the past year. And we, um, like everybody else, you know, um, before the pandemic, we had about 310 employees and we now have 83. Mm. So it's really stripped us back to our core, which is Mm -hmm. the museum and, you know, visitors coming to the museum and we have had to um, pause, you know, or or put on hold some of the programming that that we did, um, you know, things like traveling science shows where you know right. our educators were going out to schools, um, um, our summer camp. Um, I'm trying to think our youth programs um, which are very much a core of our mission. We have retained, but a lot, you know, the science festival um, that we've done every year that had to be put on hold. Um, all of the things that did not have kind of um, sufficient margin
0: mm-hmm. to
1: be able to carry us through this. So it's been, um,
0: it, you know,
1: it's, trying to look at a silver lining. Um, I think we had a lot of legacy programs. I mean, even before the pandemic, we were really starting to look at our various programs, the ones that we charge for, and to really look at it from, from a bottom line margin standpoint. Um, Because what we had a tendency to do is we'd get a grant, we'd do a program, the grant would be over, we'd continue the program, you know, that that often happens, you know, you'd hire staff for a grant, the grant is over, you'd keep the staff, you know, you'd keep the program. And that's, you know, that's difficult financially. So um, we'd already started looking at how can we kind of improve upon the programs or make them um, the ones that we charge for. You know, mm-hmm. so that they're uh, they're doing a little more than, you know, just breaking even. Definitely not losing money. You know, kind of things. So to look, you know, to look on the bright side now, you know, as our business stabilizes, which it is now. I mean, we, um, you know, we lost a couple million dollars last year. We're projected to lose right. a couple million dollars this year. Um, But then as we rebuild in 2023, we will start bringing, you know, we'll reassess programs and, you know, which ones we should bring back, how we can make them more effective, and then we'll build back up. And we'll build back up in a way that probably makes more sense in the current. Right. Now, we'll never, you know, turning away from the mission, certainly, um, and we haven't. You know, right now, I mean, people coming into the museum, that's executing against our mission, you know, right. we're, we're inspiring, a, you know, a passion for science and technology every mm-hmm. day. So, you know, but as you're really looking at things a little bit.
0: Yeah. Um, for, so, so I, I was scrolling through your, your social media, um, for, for yeah. the, the museum's um, social media, how did you kind of determine what programs to keep and which ones to add. How, like, what, was there any experimentation with that? Um,
1: when you say programs,
0: what I, I, the? I so so I noticed that, that there were the um, the astronomy talks with Derek Pitts and yeah. and, and and all like, the. Those types of programs, or the things that they used to be, like a, a live program, right, 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 in, in the center, and then transition to social media.
1: Yeah, I mean, what we had done again, this is really pretty much what every museum has done in the past year. But I'm really proud mm-hmm. of the job that we did, um, you know, in this regard. Is when we when we were shut down in March, um, mm-hmm. it became very, very important to us that um, we maintain engagement with the community, that they not forget about us, both from a mission standpoint, but also, you know, from a marketing standpoint, if you just like go dead for a number of months, and then you reopen, Mm -hmm. you're really putting yourself at a disadvantage. So we really need to maintain those relationships. And the only way we could do that was digitally. So while we were um, closed, we had and we were closed from March to July, and then Mid November to the beginning of January, but really looking at that March through July
0: timeframe,
1: right. um, we uh, put together a strategy that had um, we created something called Franklin at Home, um, and on our website there's a Franklin at Home section where you can kind of see all of the you know there were videos that we we produced. Um, it was a Spark of Science series um, that we had started beforehand, but then. You know, we continued and we had new videos um, that we did. We had um, live events. Each of our um, scientists uh, had a live event every week um, on Facebook Live, you know, did, mm-hmm. did a Facebook Live. We had um, kind of Zoom active, you know, um, events with children. Um, particularly our members and children that would be book reading activities, you know, things like that. Um, And we also, you know, backing that up with email and having, you know, we sent emails like, I don't remember now, four times a week or something and we'd have activities and we'd have videos and we'd have science news. And so we were really, really out out there. And um, some of the, you know, the programs I think we're really successful. I was not expecting to be home today. Otherwise I would have at my fingertips kind of what the engagement was. And I right. can certainly send that to you um, sure. when I'm back in my office. Um, in terms of, you know, how many video views, you know, all of all mm-hmm. of that, I'll send that to you. Um, but so the live events we did, Derek Pitts who, mm-hmm. um, He had a program once a month before we closed. He's our chief astronomer, um, which was night skies at the museum. And it was like $10 and he did do all of that. So um, that was kind of a no brainer for us that Derek would do Mm -hmm. each week, his night skies on Thursday night. Um, He's kind of our celebrity. I mean, he's pretty well known in the market. Mm -hmm. Um, He's phenomenal. He's been with us for 40 years. Um, So his program did really, really well. And um, we had another one once a week, which was um, COVID-related with our chief bioscientist, um, Jatry Das. We had another one, Franklin Outside, which is more environmentally focused, um, with Rachel Valletta, who's our environmental scientist. Um, we have since added one that's more engineering-based with Daryl Williams, who's our SVP of science and education. Um, so, you know, all of that, we had really good engagement throughout the entire you know closure it was a lot of work but you know managed to kind of pull this off um and so then when we reopened uh we decided that we still needed you we could dial it back a little bit because we Mm -hmm. really needed to dial up the efforts that were going to get people into the museum right um but there were a lot of people who weren't comfortable you know coming Mm -hmm. to the museum yet i mean we did one survey um we did a survey among members and then among our general list, and we found that close to fifty percent weren't said they weren't comfortable until there was a vaccine, and this was right. like September. Mm-hmm. So we knew we needed to maintain that engagement with the people who weren't comfortable um, coming, you know, coming into the museum right. again. So hopefully, as soon as they are com- comfortable, they will come. But also executing against our mission among among that mm-hmm. group. So. You know, Derek, so instead of doing once a week, they all went to once a month. And again, Derek is kind of our star and he always outperforms. I mean, he was seeing, you know, about twenty, twenty five thousand views per event. Um, which wow. is good. Yeah, which yeah. is really good.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Your um your um well, you you mentioned it about the about your your the survey results with fifty percent still being apprehensive. Like, um, there was so what one of our readings it was a survey um, by Culture Track, um, mm-hmm. from July twenty twenty, and so, it said like people like but when when things reopen and get back to normal that science centers and natural histories museums were kind of on the bottom of but did a. a, a yeah, they were on the bottom of their list of what they would yeah. be excited to do. Um, how, what has been your experience as, as, they've been reopening and, you know, what role do you think social media has in encouraging people to visit again?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think social media is, is a really important part of it because um, that's what people are on. You know? right. I mean, social media consumption has just, you know, increased and increased and increased, you know, each mm-hmm. year, and and we need to to talk to people where they are, and that is primarily through digital, um, you know, right now. So whether it is social media, whether it's digital advertising, um, it's crucial in terms mm-hmm. of you know increasing awareness you know, obviously moving them through the whole marketing funnel in terms of increasing awareness as a reminder medium. Um, you know, we use it for, for timely updates, like, you know, we're almost sold out this weekend, you know, make sure right. you reserve your tickets early and in, in, in advance so it can be used for, you know, for, for very different types of messages. It also <laughs> gives you the ability to, to test In ways, I mean, I'm very big on testing and learning and pivoting, you know, based on the results. So, you know, testing different types of creative, testing video versus photo slideshows, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and then being able to see which audiences are most receptive to your messages and um, then being able to pivot, pivot accordingly. So it's just such a flexible, you know, medium. um, Right. That... uh, you know, I mean, Facebook is kind of a pain in the neck because they're just constantly changing their rules. They're very hard <laughs> to keep up with. Um, but, you know, and then the whole trend towards privacy is, mm-hmm. is kind of the next big challenge for marketers. Because, you know, as annoying as cookies are to the public, mm-hmm. um, they are worth their weight in gold. As a marketer. You know? Right. <laughs> so we're all kind of working through that adjustment, what what that's gonna look like, and you know.
0: Is there a sense of, of what those changes might be and what that may mean for marketing? Yeah, um
1: it's something we are still trying to figure out. Um you know, and that my team is, is talking about and trying to get a better understanding of, and Mm -hmm. we had a call with our, we have a media buying agency, um, that we work with and, um, had a call with them last week. Again, just kind of trying to better understand, um, it, I am not completely like fully, fully versed in it all, but, um, but it is gonna, it is gonna make it harder, Um, because dropping those cookies and allowing you to, you know, follow people around or,
0: Mm -hmm. or,
1: you know, another strategy we use is empty cart um, strategies where, you know, if somebody hits buy tickets, but doesn't actually complete the transaction, Mm -hmm. um, we follow them around, you know, with social ads until, until they do Um, that we'll probably be able to continue to do. Um, you know, we're certainly people who come to our website will still be able to, to do that, um, because we'll have their IP address. But Yeah, it's, um, you know, it was the Wild West for a while and now it is contracting.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I will, I, w- I will say I, I did um, buy tickets for um, Crayola Works, and, and like I, I way the pros and cons of getting the membership and I did um but, oh, but, but but right but since since then it's just like so so many ads I get the emails and it's like yeah <laughs> <laughs> so like I like I understand I know yeah <laughs> so, I know <laughs> yeah my, but my my fiance is a marketing who works for a larger agency so like oh, he okay. always tells me all the time, like, like, yep, I'm getting this said because I went here, and we went, we walked yep. right here, so I'm getting this.
1: <laughs> you know, but sometimes it's nice because I'll be looking through Facebook, and I'll see, like, a dress or something. I want, and I'll look right. at it, and I don't really feel like buying it right now, but now I know it's right. going to keep getting served up to me. But where yeah. does your
0: uh, fiancé work? He works for Kinetic and okay. for, for New York. Um, oh, okay. Uh, on, their, on, their di- on their digital team. Oh, great. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Yeah, so it's it's been very helpful with understanding the the social media and the digital aspect of, you know, coming, you know, for for him, for the for-profit and me and the nonprofit. Right. It's been interesting. Um, Yeah, so I noticed that in the the 2017 annual report that it was a big year for social media, and that's when they really... Um, Brought on, but were you? Did, did you come on right after that, or was that part of twenty
1: seventeen? Yeah, I started in twenty eighteen, so okay. that was still when it was kind of a separate department. Right, the chief digital officer.
0: What what was that like? Kind of like taking over, or did did you take over their social the social media and like how was that transition from like ownership, we we we've been discussing a little bit about um, like your your voice on social media and right. you know the pros and cons of like taking over someone else's social media that they've built upon. I'm just right. curious how that transition was. Yeah,
1: I mean it was. I shifted the strategy um, mm-hmm. when it came over. Um, I think we. And this is something we're working on right now, um, as part of an overall, you know, brand strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're pl- we're planning on relaunching the Franklin Institute brand in September of 22. Um, and we did a lot of brand research and brand positioning mm-hmm. work and all of that. But um, that is one thing that I didn't I didn't think was really well defined um, mm-hmm. was what our you know, brand voices on social media, and I still don't think it's well enough um, defined. But um, again, the shift was was less about voice, because all of the people who are executing the social media were still there,
0: Mm -hmm. you know, when they
1: came under me, it was just the strategy shifted. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think that necessarily the voice, I don't know that it would have been tremendously perceptible. Um, right. To the outside world, world that it was a shift from one department to the other. Except we started to use it as more of a marketing tool than it had been used before. Right. Um, so Do that you, I think would have been the biggest shift. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me.
0: Do you think that it was easier because you were brought in so so early on in their social media presence and like helping define the strategy?
1: I think so. Um, I think so. Yeah, it's hard. It's
0: hard to tell. But yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So, so I know. I know that you mentioned that, especially during the pandemic, that um, you did a lot of testing with different strategies and, and right. video and whatnot. Um, can you give an example of like some kind of um, testing strategy? How you thought of idea what to test. The
1: testing that we're doing is really more um, on the advertising side Mm -hmm. um, and and the digital advertising side. Um, So for example, I'll give, you, I'll give you an example of how, you know, and I'm not sure that this completely answers your question, but, you know, digital analytics enable mm-hmm. us to kind of fine tune our strategy. Right. And, you know, which is not something with more traditional media we have had the opportunity to do. And I'm going to actually go back about two years ago, which was um, with, we had um, a special exhibition called Game Masters. And it Mm -hmm. was like 50 years of video games, you know, the history, plus there were over a hundred video games um, in this exhibition. And when we were doing planning for it, we segmented the audience as gamers, because Mm -hmm. we figured gamers are going to be really interested in this. Right. Um, We families, you know, kind of multi-generational families, Um, because it was multi-generational games and, you know, they could Mm -hmm. spend time together. And then, um, you know, kind of the millennial audience, the younger audience. Millennials are now getting older, but, you know, the (laughs) 20-somethings who may consider themselves true gamers, but enjoyed games. So we executed against those three audiences. You know, we placed social media against all three. We bought digital advertising, display advertising Mm -hmm. against all three. And um, what we found is um, the gamers audience really wasn't responding to it. And one of mm-hmm. the reasons was because the experience was not, um, you know, they were looking for arcades. They were looking, right. which this wasn't, you know, right. and we found, I mean, the, the comments on the social media among the gaming audience mm-hmm. um, was kind of deadly because you know, you had to, to move through the exhibit. You couldn't just park yourself in front of Galaga and right. you know, play. Um, it was missing some significant um, Nintendo games because Nintendo wouldn't allow them to be um, in the exhibit. And um, so social media being one of those can be your best friend, your worst enemy because of people's mm-hmm. comments. Um, we just found that that whole audience did not resonate um, and found that it was really the family audience, the multi-generational one that was really responding to the exhibit. So it enabled us to just shift all of our marketing weight against that audience and forget the other two audiences. So that's one of the things that digital marketing, you know, enables you to do, which is amazing. You know, you would never know that otherwise. Um, Right.
0: Yeah. Like I I, I would think that, you know, like the gamers would be really into it.
1: (laughs) You you would think. And and they weren't, um, you know, they weren't as much interested in the history Mm -hmm. of the gaming. And um, they didn't want, you know, and there were a lot of kids in the exhibit. They weren't really into that either. So, um, yeah, so that that was really interesting. And then we do, you know, smaller tests. I mean, I consider email marketing, you Mm -hmm. know, of a digital realm, we do realm, We do a lot of A-B testing with headlines, you know, with types of content, you know, we'll do A-B testing um, in paid social media with video, you know, for I think of Crayola right now, you know, we right. have um, exhibit videos, we have, you know, more static carousels um, with photography that's in the, the exhibit. And one of the things that we find is and and it differs by exhibit, which does better sometimes video does better, sometimes the slideshows mm-hmm. do better, so you know we'll we'll test it, we'll see how much engagement we get, and then we'll shift you know the weight towards towards that tactic in terms of the live programming, we haven't really tested as much. I mean we were able mm-hmm. to do what we were able to do honestly, <laughs> so right
0: <laughs> you know
1: yeah, based on the expertise of our
0: scientists so you Do you think that, like, especially during the pandemic when, you know, when, you know, digital is pretty much most of what you can do, did that allow for more flexibility? Do you think?
1: Yeah. Um, I think, um, yeah, it definitely allowed for more flexibility. It also, you know, was one, the thing that was interesting too was it was a period of time where the entire organization was focused on digital and mm. generating digital content. And I mean, it really broke down the silos in the organization, which was kind of mm-hmm. nice. I mean, we had everybody contributing to to creating digital content. Um, and yeah, and and I think we probably we're willing to just try more. It's like put up a piece of content. Right. If somebody watches it great, if somebody doesn't watch it,
0: you know, that's
1: okay. Right. Um, but we were really able to focus on it.
0: Yeah. Do, do you think that those effects of more people being involved in digital, do you think that'll have a lasting effect?
1: I think, mm-hmm. you know, it's funny because another thing that we're talking about that we haven't talked about at all is we're, we're mm-hmm. very much working on what our digital strategy going is going mm-hmm. forward, and um, you know, digital cons- media consumption increased so substantially. And I'm, t- I'm talking about right. streaming. You know, I mean, people were home, and you know, the number of different um, services that people were subscribed to. You know, whether it's the, the HBO Max, the you know mm-hmm. the Netflix. The, I mean, goes on and on and on. Um, has so expanded. I think it's going to contract. I think Mm -hmm. it's going to still be um, at a greater level than it was pre-COVID in terms of of digital and streaming media consumption. Um, Mm -hmm. One of the things we are very focused on for what should our digital strategy be going forward is can we monetize it? Because Mm -hmm. this is the other big strategic question that museums, I think, are having right now. And because it's very hard to sustain really high quality digital content Mm -hmm. if you can't monetize it. Um, We don't have big margins, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And digital content can be expensive. So, I mean, we have been working through a strategy with a consultant that um, is a very cool idea, it's an expensive idea to get off the mm-hmm. Ground, but it was a subscription based multi platform um, digital product. Um, and so it would be, you know, video, um, podcasts, live events, gaming, you know, all mm-hmm. very focused on science. Um, and we'd modeled it all out, but it's very expensive to get off the ground and we're not in a position to do it right now. So what we are planning on doing in the next year, because again, I'm relaunching the Franklin Institute brand in September, of October of 2022. And Mm -hmm. I want a significant digital to be digital content to be. So this is like digital marketing, moving away from digital marketing, digital content to be a significant portion of the offering. Um, of the Franklin Institute to complement both the in-museum experience, but also to um, impact people who might not be as inclined to come into the museum. We did a whole audience segmentation in our highest opportunity audiences, and found, you know, that some are are, you know, definitely you know high consumers of the museum. The others are very interested in science content, but mm-hmm. unlikely to come into the building. So how can we serve our mission to all of them? So um, because this digital platform that I was talking about, we're just not Mm -hmm. in a position to fund to get off the ground right now. And it's, you know, one of those high risk, high reward kind of projects. Um, We're gonna be experimenting in the the next year with different kinds of video content, um, podcasts. Um, I think probably the Night Skies with Derek Pitts Um, I want to do a podcast with him that's going to look a little different. I don't know. We haven't figured out the format of the podcast, but because he's so popular to see if we can really build an audience around that, um, yeah. you know, maybe our digital content is a, you know, add on to your membership for an extra $20 mm-hmm. on your membership. You can get access to this, you know, video and podcast content. Right. Um, Joy Montefusco and I are really working through this strategy right now, um, mm-hmm. and and I'm excited about it. And we're hoping we can figure out a mo- way to monetize it. Um, yeah. And I think we can. Uh, it's just test. You know, we're going to test some things, see what kind of audiences, because there's a lot of competition out there for digital Yeah, and
0: I mean that th- there was another survey that I saw where like people are still inclined to purchase, like, subscriptions for education content. Right. So, so, yeah.
1: yeah. I think there's, you know, or there's, I don't know, there's a lot of opportunity and, you know, and just need to put, I mean, we've talked through the strategy. I mean, we started last week, you know, and, and it would look different from the digital content we're putting out there right now. And we had looked into as part of this digital content platform that I had mentioned, Mm. um, gone so far as to talk to um, directors and content producers of video that we could license, we could repackage. We were talking to the BBC. um, We were talking to the BBC equivalent in Japan. um, You know, that there's a lot of content out there that we could white label and kind of repackaged so it's mm-hmm. exciting we'll see
0: yeah it sounds exciting yeah next huh. year and a half yeah it's going to be a big <laughs> push yeah I've, I've seen like more and more museum-based podcasts like from the men mm-hmm. the smithsonian and yep. all that that's interesting i feel like it would also possibly be attractive to different like older audiences too mm-hmm. yeah i think yeah so, too. yeah it's a good idea. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so and now that we're we're towards the end here, um, but so what is the greatest piece of advice you would give an aspiring museum professional interested in, in digital media?
1: I think. Staying plugged in to things are changing so fast. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's expanding so fast. You know, regulations are changing. You know, staying as plugged in as you can mm-hmm. um, to the industry. Right. Is in the digital industry. Um I think is crucial going forward. The other thing Mm -hmm. is don't only compare yourself to other museums. I think it's Mm -hmm. really important to look outside the industry and see whether it is in like the attractions and entertainment um, industry or even completely different, you know, categories, retail, other things um, that they, because I think, Museums have been very insular for a long time, mm-hmm. um, you know, and just looking at other museums. And I think there's much to be learned um, outside of the museum sector from a digital right. marketing standpoint and, um, you know, cool ideas for, I don't know, a cereal. I don't know. I'm just trying to think <laughs> of something so far out, right. you know, can be learned from and thought about, you know, how, how might something work? I mean, there's so much creative creativity out there right now that mm-hmm. um, just really staying in tune to not getting too pigeonholed into just museums. I think right. would be my biggest advice. And it's, it's a lot of fun.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I had never done any sort of media. I, I focus more on um, on exhibition development and then right. I thought, like because of COVID, this is a really good, you know, skill to have. And right. it's been fun. Yeah, like I've, I've learned a lot. <laughs> Great. Yeah, no, it's been really fun. Um, That's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, my last question is, what do you think is the most important issue facing us now that science museums should address? And what role do you think digital has in addressing that issue?
1: I think one of the most important issues um, is shifting the orientation towards more of a business-minded focus. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, like I look at, for example, Aztec, um, which is the Association of Science and Technology Centers, mm-hmm. um, you know, the trade association, so to speak, for us. And it's funny because you go to these con- these um, conferences and Ninety five percent of the sessions are on education and um, are really on the education piece and are very much on the mission pieces, which is really important. But, you know, and my um, our CEO is the current chair of Aztec. Um, And I mean, his frustration and the frustration of so many, you know, museum executives is there's nothing there for us. They're not talking about marketing. they are not talking about, you know, um, Financial responsibility. I mean, all of those more business Mm -hmm. topics and for the long term viability of museums, it's really Mm -hmm. important that that start being more of the conversation than um, just the education piece. And again, that doesn't mean moving away from the mission. It's just to to be able to continue long-term to execute against the mission, we've got to run run our organizations differently. So, and I think that COVID has really put that conversation front and center. You know, 30% of museums are expected not to reopen um, once we come out the other side. You know, you look at Philadelphia You know, Philadelphia has too many museums, Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, and that's that's a challenge. So Mm -hmm. I think that that is the most important thing coming out of COVID, and I think COVID has forced that conversation more. Mm -hmm. Um, And in terms of how digital can help that, if we can figure out how to monetize digital, that would be a home run and how and how to diversify revenue streams. Because that's, that's the other piece of this is I think that COVID is really highlighted for us Mm. is um, the importance for looking for other revenue streams beyond just ticket sales and philanthropy. Um, Because those are vulnerable, you know, you get shut down, you lose your ticket sales. The philanthropic landscape has also changed in the past mm-hmm. year. We're in the middle of a capital campaign for a huge, you know, master plan project. Um, it's changed the scope of that a little bit. I mean, the philanthropy um, part of the There's too many museums. Um, <laughs> conversation <laughs> in terms <laughs> of philanthropy and that impact on philanthropy. But mm. um, so so that's really the conversations that are being had now. And, and just for digital, digital is one potential revenue diversification method. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's
0: been quite a year. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I think with that, that's all the questions that I have. Right. You know, if you think of
1: anything else, don't hesitate to email um, me, you know, anything I can do to help. I've really enjoyed talking to you. And, um, you know, and good luck. (laughs) Thank you.